appreciate that. Uh, well, New City family, good to see you guys. Uh, it is good to be with you. Good morning. Uh, this is this is kind of a. Uh, I'm just getting used to the virtual space. As you can tell, this is my first time preaching live on a Zoom. Um, so we'll see how things are going to shape up. Um, I know I, I, I was thinking about, as I was preparing for uh, today's uh, sermon, I was thinking about uh, what kind of backdrop I could, because I've seen all these fancy backdrops that guys do. And I, I reached out to like the aesthetic parts of my soul and I came up empty. There was nothing that I could find. So all that you have is a lonely fan right above me. So bear with me today uh, as we dive into God's word. Um, as Ranjit uh, mentioned, I met Ranjit a few years ago. Actually, we met in Chennai. And uh, um, over, over the years, um, I have found a good friend in him. And uh, I have been so encouraged, even from the other side of the Atlantic, you know, I've been so encouraged to, um, to hear about all the ways that, that you guys as a church uh, serve the city and hold your witness in the capital city. And in, in my mind, I've always uh, uh, thought, I've always imagined that when we made the transition to India, we would, uh, my family and I would spend some time in Delhi uh, and then come and visit with you guys and join you on a Sunday for a Sunday service. Uh, but I, I did not imagine that the first time that we do that would be in a Zoom uh, worship service experience. Now, God is uh, sovereign. Our Lord is sovereign over all these things. And uh, we do trust in him. And uh, I'm just grateful for the common grace of technology that he's given us uh, this morning. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we uh, transitioned as a family to Mumbai about uh, six months ago, um, late December of last year. And it's been a, it's been a pretty wild ride to experience uh, our first lockdown together as a family. Like uh, my, my, my life was messy before Jesus, but I've never been locked away. You know, so this has been my first time to experience a lockdown together as a family. And uh, uh, I think that the, the novelty of the first few weeks of lockdown and the many positive spins that people were giving lockdown started to fade out after a month. You know what I'm talking about? People were saying things like, oh, finally I get to rest. I get to read like the 17 books that I always wanted to read. But I want to come up learning like seven languages, you know, and uh, some of you overachievers in the Zoom room, you guys have actually learned seven languages. And I don't know what to tell you guys other than we can be friends, you know. So, uh, so the, the, the lockdown has been just this, this uh, uh, interesting space and it's been a major adjustment, you know, to say the least. And I know that it's not just me. I know that I think all of us in the Zoom room can really uh, resonate to the weird space that is becoming our new normal. I think uh, some, there are, there's been some weeks when uh, I felt like I've just woken up from a long nap that I have overslept in. And so, I don't know, maybe some of you can resonate with me. No matter what your experience of the lockdown has been, I think we can all agree that there's been a definite disruption to the normal rhythms that you and I are used to. And on top of all of these things, you know, we have it feels like the world has been de-glamorized all of a sudden. You know, it seems like in the last few months, we've had a courtside seat to uh, so much suffering and brokenness. I mean, if you've been in India for the last six months, you know that we all collectively grieved, you know, and we were heartbroken to see 
images, wake up, uh, you know, for several weeks in a row to images of uh, people who made in the image of God suffering when the migrant crisis happened in India. And then we, then we've had days where, you know, there was like a running commentary, COVID numbers, you know, were being pushed out by all kinds of media outlets. And then you've had a, you've had a, a rumors of war and conflict and, and uh, uh, racial and regional tensions around the globe. And I think there was one week, you know, a few months ago, where there was a news of cyclone. And then there was also news that there's a locust swarm that was moving around the country, laying waste farmlands in rural India. That week felt like straight out of Old Testament. You know, I just, at that, that point, that was the height of, you know, the lockdown. At that point, I just wanted to publicly apologize to 2019 and say, I'm so sorry how much I've been underappreciative of you. Would you please come back? You know, so, I mean, we, this is all in jest, but guys, here is, here is the reality. Like all of us, nobody signed up for this kind of struggle. Nobody signed up for this kind of disruption. How are, how are we even supposed to navigate life in the midst of all of these things? Like how are, we, how are we supposed to make collective sense of this moment that we share together? Does the Bible even say anything? Give us any helpful handles on how to approach a season like this. And I think the answer, we know the answer to it. The Bible does set our expectation about what life in a broken world would look like. And the Bible does give us good counsel on how to live you know, in seasons like this. So for our, our time together, I wanna to invite your attention to this, this book of the Bible where the Apostle Peter is writing to a group of Christians that have been dispersed, that has been scattered around the Asia Minor region. And, they, and this, is the, uh, this is the region of modern day Turkey. And these were, these, were, these were men and women who loved Jesus but they were scattered from their hometown homelands because of persecution and other difficulties. And they found themselves in a foreign land and their life was appended by, by economic segregation, by oppression, by all kinds of disruptions. And Peter, while addressing this Christians, gives them all kinds of instructions in the inspiration of the spirit. And, and the, the instruction that Peter is giving this group of Christians is, is, to, is to act as a compass, is to act as a compass that will help them to navigate the disruptive moment, you know, that in history that they have found themselves in. And in my view, the, the, uh, the instruction, the counsel that Peter gives them through these two books can be distilled down to a simple call, to a simple call to remember the gospel. This, this book of this letter of 1 Peter becomes kind of a you are here moment for this church. If you guys remember before the lockdown, when we went into the malls, you know, uh, sometimes you'll be lost in a mall and then you can walk up to a mall directory. And then there is this little mark that says you are here. And that mark will help you to locate yourself, you know, and uh, with regard to the layout of the mall. And this is, I feel in one sense, this is what the, 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 the gospel to the people in dispersion, the Christians in dispersion in this letter is doing. So the question is that, why is the apostle writing this letter? How does this letter help the early church to locate themselves in the midst of a season of disruption? And more importantly, what can you and I glean from the instruction 
that the apostle is giving this church that will help us to navigate our own season of disruption and our own season of uncertainty. So if you would bear with me one more time, if you have your Bibles, would you grab them and turn or swipe them to the book of 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. And let's just, let's just really intentionally, slowly read these verses. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be present with you? Would you bridge the gap of this virtual space, the distance between us? And would you help us, Lord, to be present with you with open hearts and open ears as we listen to your words? Thank you, God, for your mercies that is new today. Help me to uh, share your word to the joy of my father and help uh, my friends in this room to hear the, your voice um, as we look at this word together. We love you. We trust you. Teach us to love and trust you more. In Christ's name we pray. So um, what is interesting is that from this passage that we just read, there are, there are four encouraging gospel reminders that our brother Peter is sharing with the church in Asia Minor. Four encouraging uh, gospel reminders that reminds them of their gospel identity. And I think it's helpful for us to hear these four encouraging reminders as well. So if you're taking notes, here are the four reminders real quick. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it one at a time. Peter reminds the church that there are people redeemed by Jesus. He reminds the church that there are people built on Jesus. And he reminds the church that there are people changed by Jesus. And finally, there are people sent by Jesus. What do we mean by this? A people redeemed by Jesus. Now, it's not immediately visible to us at, the, at, at first. But as you look closely, you can see that Peter is actually ref referencing a very important Old Testament story in this verse. And if you're new to the Bible, it is the story of the Exodus. It's a story where uh, the Peter is uh, referencing is a story where God's people were enslaved for 400 long years, being brutally oppressed by an evil king called Pharaoh. And, but God, God seeing this, their slavery and oppression had mercy on them. And God, God in his mercy sent Moses to redeem them from their oppression, to redeem them from their suffering. And we see that God safely brings them through the Red Sea and into Mount Sinai. And then he speaks these words to them that you see in the book of Exodus chapter 19. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all people. 
for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what Peter is reminding us here is that you and I, just like the people of Israel, we, were, we weren't physical slaves. We were not under the oppression of an evil regime. But you and I, just like the people of Israel, we were spiritually enslaved in, under the harsh oppression of sin, Satan, and death. And then now, before, before Jesus rescued us, before Jesus rescued us, we were just like the Israelites. We were all, we were all kind of stuck in our own sin. And it took different forms. In my own story, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, uh, the shame and brokenness of sexual sin. And there was the out-of-control drug addiction. And there was all kinds of things that I struggled with before I met Jesus. Now, for some of you, this, your struggles might have taken completely different forms. Maybe for you, your, your struggles might have taken the form of turning to religious morality to tell you who you are. Maybe for some others, your struggle was the, the, the sin of approval, where you, where you desperately struggled for the approval of others, to tell others that you are, to hear from others that you are okay. And for some others of us, you know, maybe, maybe even in this room, you know, your, your struggle might be, you know, with possessions or, or what you wanted to own or what you uh, owned. No matter what our struggles were, no matter what form it took, I think we can all agree that we, had, we were enslaved by all kinds of sinful and misdirected desires. And Jesus in his mercy, and the, the worst part is that all of these, all of these, uh, all, all, all of these things, they, they, had, they gave us these empty promises. They, they promised us, you know, like all, to deliver joy and to deliver pleasure and, you de and to deliver satisfaction. But over and over and over again, they left us wanting. And we were not able to shake it off. We were owned by it and we were controlled by it. But what Peter was telling is that God in his mercy looked at us. He had compassion on us. And he, out of his compassion, out of his mercy, out of his grace, he sent not Moses, but he sent Jesus, the greater Moses, who stepped into our mess and who delivered us out of our struggles. And who delivered us from darkness into light and from slavery into freedom. Now, friends, this is basic Christian teaching. But here is why this is so important for us to rehearse together. Because here is the reality. In seasons of suffering and disruption, when all the mile markers of stability in our lives are disrupted, there is the real sense of anxiety and there's a real sense of disorientation that we start to feel. We, you know, most people in this season are just trying so desperately to hold on to some kind of a stable anchor that will help them from being drowned by a flood of fear and disappointment, maybe even fear of the future. And our brother Peter, the Apostle Peter here, is reminding us, reminding the church and reminding us that if you belong to Jesus in the Zoom room, you do have such a stable anchor. You do have such a stable anchor in the love of Christ. But Peter also knows that this is a season where we can so easily lose sight of this. So this is a, this is a season where we are not only called to remember the redeeming love of Jesus, but we are also called to help each other, move towards each other to remember the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. Let me try to unpack it a little bit more. Now think of this season of lockdown that you are in. 
some of the basic rhythms that week in and week out that reminded us of God's love has been disrupted. Think of it. The, the physical gathering of the saints has been disrupted. The idea of coming together and, and the strength that sometimes we took for granted in coming together and singing the praises of our glorious God and, 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 and doing that together. And the, the, the rhythm of uh, holding the elements of communion in your hands, the sacraments, the means of grace in your hands and breaking it together with the brother and sister and remembering the gospel, that's been disrupted. Even the, even the gift of uh, God's grace of sharing a meal together with friends and in community has been disrupted. Now, this is 2020. And being 2020, the church leaders and, 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 and people in the church are faithfully stewarding this space as best as they can. I'm so grateful for every single one of you who's you know, put effort, who's, ma who's made time to make this virtual space happen. There's so much work that has gone behind that. And I'm grateful for the Lord's work that is moving forward in this space. But even, I mean, can we say that without taking anything away, by even being grateful to all the work and labor that has gone towards making this virtual space happen, can we, can we be honest and say that even in spite of all of these things, the temptation to disconnect and the temptation to engage only as much as you want to engage and the temptation to, you know, maybe isolate is very real for many of us. And this is a, this is a, a, a season where without the rhythm of healthy reminders of the love and rescue of God, you and I can slowly drift into apathy. Now hear me say this. I don't mean that we will drift into a place of rejecting the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. We can easily move to a place of apathy where the gospel stop, ceases to move our hearts to worship. It's good for us from time to time to pause and ask ourselves, in the last six months, when is the last time that the gospel moved our hearts to tears? When is the last time that we, taught, we, we intentionally remembered the, the grand rescue of our Lord? And when is the last time that our hearts were moved to tears in the, in the hearing of the message of the gospel? This, I, I believe that this is why God has given us these rhythms. Because our, the reason that we have been given communion is because from time to time, our, our hearts tend to forget. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me because we, are, we live in a, in, a, in a broken world with a sinful nature that we've been sanctified you know, and redeemed from. And, and, and from time to time, unless we hold fast to these rhythms in the community of God's people, our hearts tend to forget the lavish generosity of our God. Now, it is a, just to put all my cards on the table, you know, in a spirit of uh, transparency, I have had several moments in this last six months. I talked about all the good things that the Lord is doing in the last six months. I've also ha had several dark nights of the soul. There's been, there's been a lot of evenings, there's been a lot of times when I have struggled to make sense of this moment. And you know what has been a warm blanket for my soul? A text message from a brother or a sister. A call from a brother or a sister. In fact, I remember reaching out to Ranjit a few months ago and saying, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to hold on to the promises of God. Would you help me? Friends, this is a season where we need to move towards each other 
help each other in remembering the lavish love of Christ that sustains us. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, uh, when, when Jesus redeems us or Jesus rescues us, he does not rescue us like how Batman rescues people. I don't know if there are any Batman fans in the Zoom room, but if you've seen a Batman movie or a, a Batman uh, cartoon, you know, Batman will, will rescue uh, uh, somebody from a burning building or from, a, from a, a villain. And then Batman will rescue them and will bring them to safety. And then he will disappear. Like he doesn't stick around. You know, people will turn around to thank him and he's gone. You know, so that's not how Jesus rescues his people. Jesus rescues us from sin, the slavery of sin, Satan and death. And then he rescues us into his church. He's with us. He rescues us into a community of his people. This, this brings us to the second reminder from this passage that Peter is telling us. Peter tells us that uh, we are not really a people rescued, redeemed by Jesus, but we are a people built on Jesus. Look at verses four and five. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ, through Jesus Christ. Friends, Peter uses this analogy of a building. He is using this analogy to communicate something really important to us this morning. He uses the image of a cornerstone. Now, unless you are a builder or an architect or into construction, cornerstone is not something that we usually think about intentionally. But in Peter's context, cornerstone is the most important stone there is to any stable structure. Cornerstone is that very stone that holds the entire building together. Cornerstone is the stone that is the load-bearing stone. And all the other stones in the building is interconnected and connected to the stone, cornerstone. If there is no cornerstone, there is no building. So through this analogy, Peter is helping us to see two simple facts, two simple truths. Peter is telling us, that there are only two kinds of people in the world. There, are, there is the kind of people whose, whose entire lives are built on Jesus. And then there are the kinds of people whose lives are built on everything else. As the church called us to be the kind of people whose lives are to be built on our Redeemer, on, on Jesus. Every aspect of who we are are to be built around Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that this would make us exempt from suffering. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this, is, this, is, this simply means that Jesus becomes the center point around which all of our life is built. For a, for a Christian, although there's a million things that is trying to compete for our affection, there's a million things that is trying to, to, to occupy the throne of our heart. For a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is that there is always an intentional vacating of the throne of our heart in repentance. There's an intentional, you know, going to Jesus and repenting and allowing him to take that place, you know, the throne of our heart. This is where, you know, uh, uh, biblical Christianity and cultural Christianity, you know, uh, the, the, the dividing line between biblical Christianity and cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity stops, you know, by saying, I've been redeemed to Jesus. It, it makes no demands. It makes no no, not, it says nothing about the lordship of Jesus Christ over our hearts and over our lives. And then there are those who are, uh, whose lives are built on everything else. Listen, friends, everyone's, everybody's lives 
are built on something. There's nobody whose lives are not built on anything. For some people, it might be their career. Some people, it might be money or success or whatever their vision of a good life is. For some, it may be the approval of others or fame. Um, or some, for some, it may be even be the, the kind of security and certainty uh, of the future that their investments would bring. No matter what, everybody builds their life on something. And this is really relevant for us to think about this morning because a season of disruption and a season of uncertainty will definitely test and expose the foundations on which our lives are built on. I want, I, want, I, want to, I want to share this thought with you. Think about it. Whatever, whatever is the most strongest anxiety, whatever the, direct, the direction of your strongest anxiety might be pointing towards your functional cornerstone. Whatever it is that, that makes you most anxious might be the functional cornerstone in our life. And if that is the case, I just want to remind you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If that is the case, the invitation for us this morning is to come to Christ, is to hold those things as best as we know how to and bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to cling? Ask the Holy Spirit to help us to cling tighter to Christ, our cornerstone. Now, in addition to this, this passage also reminds us that through Christ, the cornerstone, you and I are inseparably connected to each other as well. So not only are we connected to Christ, the cornerstone, we are connected to each other. Look at verse 5. It says, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, this is really interesting and this is really uh, important for the church not to forget. Because, friends, you and I, we are swimming against the, the current of rampant individualism and consumerism in culture. There is such pressure from culture to see the church as a place where religious goods and services are you know, exchanged and we only engage as much as we want to. In fact, the, the highest value in many societies are becoming individualism. And this is, not, this is not biblical Christianity. This is a strange thing to the Bible. The Bible says that there is, in our, there, there is nothing, like, the Bible teaches us that life, Christian life was never meant to be an individual thing. Like we need each other. We are built on Jesus, the cornerstone, by being knitted into each other. Think about this. Think about the history of the church. Over the centuries, the kind of interdependence that the church had, the kind of dependency that the church had on each other, that served as a prophetic witness to a watching world. This is what made us a peculiar people. What, what makes us a peculiar people is not our quirks. That's just something that Jesus will redeem one day. You know, what uh, makes us a peculiar people is the kind of countercultural dependence in which we walk together as a gospel community. In fact, can I be so bold as to say that if you, there are things about Jesus that we will never experience if we are not willing to experience it in the community of his people. We have been created to live and enjoy our Lord in the community of his people. So here is, a, here is the bottom line. It doesn't matter how self-sufficient you are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other. We've been called to live 
independence of each other. In fact, you know, even in this space between you and I, you know, the distance is gapped by Jesus. He stands in the middle. We connect, to, we, we relate to each other through Jesus. Now, in addition to this passage, uh, the, the, uh, the text that we just read, Peter reminds us that we are not, we are also people changed by Jesus. And he calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. Peter, Peter reminds us that God has started a work in us. In every single one of you listening to me, God has started a work. And this season of disruption, this pandemic has not put that on hold. God's work is still continuing. And Jesus is so committed to finishing the work that he started in us. No matter what, what kind of circumstances change around us, around us, he's so committed to finishing this work. In fact, he's given us a new identity. And he's, he's, he's actually showing us there are four ways in which the passage uh, shows us our new identity. The first thing the passage says is that we are a chosen race. So think of the original audience listening to Peter's, reading Peter's letter. The, 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 main, the original audience were uh, uh, Christians that were a mix of Jews and non-Jews. Now we are so far removed from that culture. But to that culture, that is a very scandalous thing for the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, the Jews and the non-Jews to be together. And so Peter is saying that we are, a we are a chosen race because we are chosen by God. We are marked by God's grace and love. We are people no longer defined by our ethnicity. We are no longer people defined by the color of our skin. We are no longer, you know, culture and, uh, culture and tradition is really important. And it has its place in our lives and it has to be celebrated. Good things of culture and tradition has to be celebrated. But that does not define us. We're not, the community of God's people is not a group of people that is around a particular language. We don't, we're, not, we're, not, we're not gathering around a particular affinity. We're a people purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, the New Testament describe who we are. And there's only like two, two places that is used. And it's, it, 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 it indicates a new species that we have our primary identity is that we are loved by God, we are adopted into his family, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If we were to take a poll right now, if we were to stop, stop and take a poll in the Zoom room right now, I guarantee you that there will be such diversity in the way you came to Christ, such diversity in your stories. So there is, in Christ, the passage is reminding us that we are a chosen race belonging to God. Then he calls us a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, you see priests, priests, you know, mediated between God and man. Priests had access to God and priests were called to serve. I think in the C.S. Lewis, he talks about the kind of access that Jesus has purchased for us to the Father. It's like the access that a, that a, a, a child has to a king at 2 a.m. in the morning. Can you imagine back in the day waking up a king at 2 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water? That's the kind of access that Christ has brought for you and I before the Father. And then in addition to that, we've also been called to serve. We're not called to be the best kept secrets in our neighborhood. We've been called to move not just towards each other in, in gospel community, but we are called to move towards people. Now it's interesting, uh, you know, in the start of uh, uh, this COVID season, there was a lot of research around what, when was the last time that this happened. So that was, I think, during the Spanish flu 
And so more people started researching about the bubonic plague and Spanish flu and how people responded. If you do a parallel study on how the church responded during that time, it is absolutely fascinating. You have men, thousands of men and women who have not run, who did not run away from, from you know, the plague. They run, ran towards the suffering. They ran towards the afflicted. And many of them even laid down their lives serving the, the least of this in their community. God has called us to be a royal priesthood. Now he's also called us a holy nation, meaning we are set apart for God. The church belongs to God in a way that others don't. Now I know that this is probably a little offensive to our modern sensibilities, right? Because exclusion is an offensive thing to say out loud. You know, so, but the Bible doesn't shy away from saying that Jesus has a unique relationship with his bride, the church, that he doesn't have with others. This does not mean that we sit on our hands in privilege. This means that God is calling us in this unique relationship to walk and reflect his holiness to a watching world. Now, I just want to touch on this. A lot of times when we hear the word holiness, you know, we, if you're depending on your context, you may be thinking about a rigorous, you know, religiosity. But there's a big difference between, even, even if you look at the New Testament, the way Jesus' holiness was, was very different than how the Pharisees and the Sadducees walked in holiness. See, the idea of the religious elite back in the day, their idea of holiness separated people from them. But if you look at Jesus' holiness, it drew the most broken people in society towards himself. The most wild and most sinful people in the society were drawn by his holiness and they were transformed by his holiness. And Jesus calls the church today a holy nation. And real quick, he also calls us a people of God's, for God's possession. Meaning you and I, we've been brought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't belong to ourselves. God owns us now. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. We belong to Jesus. I want to pause here and ask a question. Having said, having heard all of those great things, let me ask you this. If someone who does not profess faith in Jesus Christ was to come and hang out with you during this lockdown period, will they be overwhelmed by all of this? Will they be overwhelmed by the grace of God? Will they, will they be overwhelmed by witnessing the way we encourage each other, the way we support and love and are committed to each other and are committed to the good of the cities that we've been planted in? Or would they even notice? Finally, in this passage, we see that not only are we a people redeemed by Jesus, built on Jesus, changed by Jesus, but we are also a people commissioned by Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 9 that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, the reason why God has given us this new identity and worked such a dramatic change in us is so that you and I might proclaim his excellencies to a world lost in darkness. Now, what in the world does it mean to proclaim his excellencies? Let me try to real quick summarize it in two, two broad headings. We proclaim it through worship and we proclaim it through witness. We proclaim it in the way we gather together intentionally. Even in, in one sense, we're doing that right now. As we are gathered from different contexts, you know, in this virtual space, we are proclaiming the excellencies of God. 
then we do that the way we are scattered between Sundays in our local context. We do that in the way, we, we do that in worship as we obey the, the one another's in the Bible. There are 59 times that the Bible talks about the one another's, love one another, pray for one another, uh, generously serve one another, bear one another's burdens. And you can't do that on your own. Minimum, you have to have another person in order to walk that implication out. Then we do that in, in uh, you know, growing in our spiritual gifts together. And then finally, we do that in serving the least of us, least of these in our communities. As we walk towards, as we move towards the marginalized and the oppressed and the under-resourced and the afflicted in our communities, we proclaim the excellencies of our Lord. In addition to worship, we proclaim through our witness. I think there's a unique opportunity right now for people that belong to Jesus to be non-anxious witnesses, non-anxious presence, whether it's in your society, whether it's in your neighborhoods, to be non-anxious people. Now, how can we, how, how do we do, how do we be non-anxious? Friends, because you and I know how the story is going to end. God has actually pulled back the curtain of time and given us a sneak peek that all of history is going in one direction and is going to end at the throne room of Christ. We know that there is going to be a day when suffering and lockdowns and hunger and tears and brokenness will no longer be, it'll no longer, it'll no longer even be a distant memory. There's a day that is coming. And God is calling us, the church, to live in the light of that reality today. So as, as I bring this all together, as kind of land this plane, I just want to say that God has called us, you know, no matter, no matter who, no, no matter where you are, this is who the church is. This is who we are. We are a people redeemed by Jesus, a people built by Jesus, a people changed by Jesus, and a people commissioned by Jesus. Now, at least some of you listening to me in the Zoom room, you're thinking to yourself, man, all of that sounds really great, but as Tuesday starts to roll, and as, as I start to roll out of bed on a Tuesday morning, I don't really feel like a holy nation. You know, or, or some of you might be saying that even as I think about the week that I'm going to step into, I already start feeling the exhaustion of that. Friends, if that is where you are, I just want to encourage you. The, the invitation of God's grace is open wide to you. Bring your, bring, bring your you've been invited to, to bring the burdens of your heart to Jesus. You've been invited to walk in Jesus' work. He's not calling you to do this in your own strength. He's calling you to do this by looking back and looking forward. What do I mean by that? He's calling us to pause and he's calling us to look back. And we look, when we look back, we see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was rejected so that you and I may be received into the family of God. When we look back, we see that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone who bears the Lord of all of our sins, were crushed under the just, righteous wrath of the Father towards our sin, that you and I, our lives may be built up, even in the midst of the things that we struggle with. When we look back, we see that the Holy One, the true high priest, the true and better high priest, was abandoned, that you and I be made a people belonging to God, that you and I be made a nation of priests. Friends, you and I were commissioned out to walk in this calling, not, on, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. 
So today as I close, I want to remind you that the witness of God's people shines brightest when we come needy for Jesus and when we come leaning on each other and we come dependent on each other. Here is the promise that Christ gives us. No matter what happens in pandemics, in disruptions, in economic downturns, in, in, in fear of loss, losing our jobs, in all kinds of season, the promise that Christ gives us is that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we pray, God, that you would, you would help our hearts to catch up with the confessions of our mouth. Would you help us, Lord God, even as we step into uh, the demands of this week, May we, may we step into this week knowing your nearness, experiencing your strength in a very tangible way. Holy Spirit of God, for me and my friends, we do, we do confess that we carry all kinds, of, all kinds of anxieties, all kinds of doubts in our hearts. And as best as we know how to, Lord, we hold our hearts before you. Would you hold our hands? Would you hold our hearts? And would you lead us this season, Lord God, that we may remain faithful wherever you have planted us? Would you help us, Lord God? Lord, I pray, Lord, most of all, that the loudest voice that my friends would be hearing today would be the voice of the Father calling their name, would be the voice of the Son affirming their place in the family of God. We love you. We trust in you. Help us, Lord God, now to walk in obedience to the calling that you've given us by the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. God bless you guys. Yes, yes, yes.